you've empowered someone to take a decision and they make the decision that's not the one that you would have made or the company would really want them to make. That burns you, for sure. Well put. <laughs> this is really about having faith in humanity. You know, you've got to instill faith in people. And even though you will get burned or a wrong decision will be made, you know, you, you need to learn from that. They'll learn from that. You know, if you want to have an organization where, you know, you have highly paid professionals, um, you know, let them do the job that, that they need to do. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back for another exciting and fun episode of Lead the Team. Today, I have for you Mark McCullough, who is the CEO at Gebruder Vice, also known as GW. And he's been in the business for 28 years. And for 18 of those, he's been with GW and worked his way up from salesperson all the way to the top position in the company. Now, GW, in case you're not familiar with it, is a family-run transportation and logistics company with a 500-year history with more than 8,400 employees. And this happens to make them the oldest continuously running transportation company in the world. And in my book, that's the universe. Now, Mark has been working since he was 11 years old when he had a paper route. And he wanted to buy himself a Nintendo gaming system, which we're going to dig, dig into, y'all, you Nintendo fans. And then he acquired his first work permit at the age of 14. He's been at it a long time, y'all. At 18, Mark had his first introduction to the logistics industry when he worked for a window company just outside of Toledo, Ohio, where he learned the business from the bottom up and inside out. Now Mark lives in the great city of Chicago or just outside there with his wife and three kids. Mark, welcome to lead the team, sir. Thank you very much, Ben. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So the real question is, what is your favorite Nintendo game? <laughs> well, I think in those days, what was driving me, it was Kung Fu was the game that, you know, I had to have, right? I mean, that was the one that, you know, after Pac-Man, you know, there was Kung Fu. And, you know, when we found out you could bring Kung Fu home, I, I was going to do anything, whatever it took to, to make sure I could have that in my, in my own bedroom. I love so, it. Did you yeah. ever play Double Dragon? That oh, game yeah. or Akari Warriors? Yeah, 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 of course, of course. In those days, you would trade games, right? Because you could only afford to buy one every three months. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, yes. they were so darn expensive. So you would you would trade them amongst the, the kids in the neighborhood. Man, you know, we're, we're knocking on the door of 200 episodes, and I've yet to talk Nintendo. So I'm glad <laughs> finally is. my dream has come true, and we've got Nintendo on a, con a, a leadership conversation about Nintendo. Now, I'm thinking do that. back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw you a curveball here. Thinking sure. back to all your Nintendo playing. Yeah. What is a leadership idea or insight, perhaps, that you learned from playing Nintendo back in the day? Man, you know, uh, practice makes perfect. I think you know, <laughs> you just got to keep at it. You know, just keep going, and uh, no matter how many times um, you know the the ghosts or goblins get you killed, you know, you just gotta. The man up, right? One more oh, man. So good. 
get back up on the horse. Yes, you maybe you keep falling off the horse, you keep dying in the game, but you get better by playing. That's it. Keep keep on trying. You know, nobody's born perfect, so you have to refine your skills as you go along. And then you can get a shortcut every once in a while, like in Akari Warriors. I think it was ABBA where it like resurrected oh, yeah. your right, player. Right. So, you, yeah. so you can just keep playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those oh. cheats. Exactly. Okay. exactly. And so, so you know, also throwback question, paper route. Yeah. It's a pretty young age to be running the paper route. What Looking back at that time, uh, what do you carry forward from your paper route days? Uh, I, I, I knew then I probably wasn't going to have a job outdoors. You know, I, I really, <laughs> you know, I love the outdoors when, when the weather's nice, but I can tell you having to, um, mm-hmm. to get out there and deliver those papers in the middle of the winter or early on Sunday mornings was, was pretty brutal, but, uh, um, you know, it was, it was a darn good experience. Certainly, you know, I mean, it was, uh, it was early, but I mean, I was from a very small town, only 2000 people were just over. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, you know, relatively small area that I had to cover. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was a, it was an incredibly good experience back then. And I think, you know, really started to, um, uh, develop my work ethic from, from a young mm-hmm. age. So. So also process of elimination of in terms of what not, I do not want to be out here in these long Chicago winters delivering papers the rest of my life. I guess you were North of Chicago. It was even colder. Northwest Ohio. It was even worse. We yeah. got Chicago. So it just kept coming. Yeah. It uh, just kept- yeah. The job satisfaction uh, with paper routes probably decreases the further North you go in the winter. I think not, you're right. That's, that's a pretty safe assumption. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so there are a lot of ways to go with this, but there's one sort of dangling end out there that we opened up, which is, I mean, working, being a leader of a 500-year-old company sounds pretty insane. Um, What's the scoop on a 500-year-old transportation logistics company and leading something with that kind of legacy? You know, it's... um... Um, it, 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 it's, it even took me a while to, to wrap my head around it. It was, it's actually almost 550 years now. It was 1474 that, uh, the ancestors of the, of the, the family, you know, running it now, um, what was commissioned to, to deliver products from Lindau, Germany, which is right next to Austria. There's an old ancient customs border there into Italy through the Alps. And in those days, the, the routes were very treacherous, of course, pirates, you know, their, their weather, you know, uh, there was no road. It was trails, you know, with, with, um, mules and, and horses. Um, so uh, like delivering very, papers in Northwest yes, exactly. Ohio in the winter, maybe even a little more dangerous, perhaps. I don't know. You were meant but, to uh, lead this company, Mark. <laughs> no doubt. You know, when we, um, um, when we became independent in North America, uh, and I had the opportunity to, to start up GW in North America for them, um, you know, that was really one of the major deciding factors is, is that, um, you know, to, to be a part of this legacy, to, to be able to start this um, for the organization in North America um, and, uh, and be a part of that rich history. I mean, really, you know, and, and for a lot of Americans, certainly when I go on sales calls or, you know, visit customers and, you know, we talk about, 
the, the history, you know, sometimes it's hard for them also to put their head around it, you know, before America was discovered by the Europeans, um, you know, we were already transporting goods over the Alps. So uh, it's, wow. it's uh, been a, a pleasure and an honor really to, hmm. to be able to, to start this for them. Yeah. Yeah, my my goodness, it's it would it it feels like you've been at that company at GW for a long time, but it's only a drop in the bucket compared to how yep. long it's. You won't even remember me, Ben. I can promise you that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so and then, and then we'll move on here. But what do you think's been the secret for a company to to exist that long when so many obviously have not? That's a, I mean, it's a great question. I think that, um, you know, it, 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 I can only assume that it started with their ancestors, but, you know, the, the, the family, you know, it, it's, it's very top down. It's, it's a family run organization and it is a family organization, right? It's privately held. Um, it's, uh, it, it's got this feeling that, that, um, you know, you, you pick up on immediately, you know, it's, they care about the people, you know, there's, there's not, uh, you know, a lot of this hierarchy, you know, it's, it's very flat and, uh, and they're very approachable, you know, they're, they're really great people. And, um, even though they're, um, extremely wealthy, you wouldn't know it. I mean, they really are just, uh, approachable, humble people. And, uh, um, you know, it's a pleasure to work with them. So you mentioned the word flat. And I think a lot of organizations that are global and that uh, have a lot of people involved tend to have lots of layers because it's just hard to hard to be flat when you're all in different locations. And you've got, what do we say, 20 plus different locations, 30 locations? In, uh, in North America, we're, we're at 14, 14. Uh, 14 locations plus six, uh, six logistics facilities. Okay. So it's, it's about 20. Um, globally, we're, we're at, uh, I think it's 180 plus locations um, in some 30 countries now. So with that said, tough to maintain flatness in that. Yeah, sure. you've, you've been a proponent of that uh, based on what I've read. What how how, are, how should leaders be thinking about the structure of their organization and, and why is why is keeping flat paid off and maybe what are some of the challenges of it? Yeah, I think uh, it, it certainly is challenging because, you know, sometimes, you, you know, as an organization grows, right, I mean, you, you just need to have more, more eyes on the ball. And, um, you know, if you want to continuously develop, but make sure that you're not losing um, what got you there, uh, mm -hmm. To have people that are are empowered, um, and I think you need to trust in those people, right? I mean, you need to allow them to to do the jobs that they've been given, um, and and mm -hmm. to delegate responsibility amongst their teams. And I think that you know doing that um, really creates an environment of trust, and then you're it's easier to enable a, a flatter organization. I think that you know you let these people make. Um, decisions they're allowed to take risks you know to do these things you don't need to to check you know with three or four different bosses in order to get something done so it allows us mm -hmm. to be nimble and flexible um but you know it does it does get difficult certainly in the larger it grows i mean you know in north america here we're about 250 people so it's it's a bit easier for us whereas in europe you know they have 7000 so you know they they struggle with it a lot more um, certainly, and it's it's uh, it's certainly not as flat as I would like it to be in Europe, as as they know, and and I uh, 
uh, voice that uh, uh, probably too often and frequently for, for their liking. But, um, um, you know, it's, it's important for us, especially over here as a much younger organization, um, to, to have people in, in place that, that can be effective, you know, that don't need to check with 14 different bosses or, you know, get approvals for these things. We need to act quickly and, and uh, um, respond timely and, and hopefully, you know, effectively. Yeah, I think it's important, especially in your industry, because things are changing so fast. And if you have to check with so many people, then you miss your space on the ocean liner to move the freight or the freight rates go up or, you know, you miss opportunity and your customer doesn't understand. The flip side of this is, like you said, words that are great, empowerment, enablement, uh, taking risk. But sometimes that's scary for leaders because you've empowered someone to take a decision and they make the decision that's not the one that you would have made or the company would really want them to make. In those moments, how do you sort of approach those situations? And maybe when's a time when you had to had to work through something like that? Yeah, I mean, listen, it burns you for sure. I mean, and, and you know, it's <laughs> well put. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you get burned time and time again. Um, you know, this is this is really about having faith in humanity. You know, you've got to instill faith in people, and even though you will get burned or a wrong decision will be made, you know, you you need to learn from that, and especially you know the employees. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they'll learn from that really, um, and uh, and you see how they react to it. You know, and and how do they bounce back? You know, what do they do differently? Um, but doing so, you know, and, and, and really, you know, we really encourage the entrepreneurial spirit, you know, uh, we're, we're all over America, you know, the, the marketplaces that we're in are all very different, right? I mean, it's one country, but there's many cultural differences, you know, throughout the regions of, of North America. So, you know, our, our people are experts in their regions and, you know, you have to trust in them and, and let them do. Um, but of course, with that, you know, sometimes you, you people um, don't make good decisions. Sometimes people um, take advantage of, of that. Um, but, you know, you can't take it out on the next one. I think, you know, you have to continue with that. It's been successful for me. And I think that, you know, early in my, my leadership days, it was certainly a lot more nerve wracking to do so. And this is something that I've learned over the years. I mean, this is almost now uh, 10 years of, of, of being a CEO in North America. So, um, you know, 10 years ago, it was a lot more worrisome than it is, uh, than it is today. So, yeah, you've, you, you've been through it enough. You kind of know, and I think, you know, one of the things that brings it, so I, I years ago, uh, I worked for a company, a major sporting goods retailer, and I was on the supply chain logistics side of the house and I was getting started. And my boss told me, he's like, Ben, let me tell you something, man. Uh, if you move the freight and you, and we pay too much for it, it might get us yelled at or beat up. But if we don't move it, that'll get us fired. I was like, <laughs> I was like after that, it. I understood how to operate in pretty much any situation. That's great. That's fantastic. You know, <laughs> and, and we, we talk to people about that all the time. If you're in the freight business, you know, you, you, uh, you eat deadlines for breakfast and, and serve results for dinner. Otherwise you're not going to be in the business too long. Right. Okay. I mean, you're, Ooh. you're by sunset, you could be gone. So, uh, 
You know, if that means you need to stay up and make sure you get a phone call into China that that shipment gets moving, you know, out of Shanghai tomorrow or, or out of Ho Chi Minh, you know, latest by the weekend, then you better stay up and make that phone call. I love it. I love it. So it sounds like, well, going back to your flat organization, it really sounds like that's one of your key leverage to engage employees because if they're in charge of the decisions, they they own their jobs better. They're not having to constantly check in. They're going to be more engaged. Uh, but my understanding is earlier in your career, uh, you faced or experienced uh, some leaders maybe that were considered, quote, empty suit managers. Sure. Yeah. What's What was that like? And what did you learn? Yeah, I think that it was, it was, um, you know, I remember these days very, very well, even though it's been a long, long time ago now, many, many years. Um, but, you know, this was uh, uh, early in my career um, working for a small company that was purchased by a larger company. Um, and, you know, you saw how these, these executives, these VPs who walked around the halls, um, you know, didn't engage with, with the people. They didn't, they didn't really care to, you know, didn't know what the people's names were, um, you know, what their purpose was, what their function was, um, you know, and what I noticed was these people turned over pretty regularly, right? They're, they're, they were there maybe a year, maximum two years, and then they sort of disappeared. And, and I had always said to myself, you know, um, I was always looking for good leadership and I didn't really know it, you know, until, until probably my late twenties. And, uh, um, once you, once you experience good leadership, you know, that that's what you want, right? You get pumped up for it. Um, you know, you want to be a part of it. It's a pleasure to come to work, to be around. Um, so, you know, it was a stark contrast and, and I knew, um, that if I was ever given the opportunity to lead, um, that, uh, that I wouldn't be one of those empty suits, you know, that I would always care about the people, talk to them, be down to earth, engage. Um, and, uh, and I, I think at least I, I hope, um, you know, I still do that today. Yeah. Sometimes the best teacher is what not to do. And that's the one that can leave an indelible mark on your yes, leadership sir. psyche. Cause you think back to those moments where it didn't go, go well, uh, sort of advancing the conversation a little bit understand that your metal was tested a lot as a leader during COVID, uh, specifically uh, in your warehouse. What um, what was that like and, and how did it go? Yeah, we, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I mean, everybody was tested during COVID. I don't care what your job was, right? Or, or, or you know, leadership or, or just, you know, employee at the desk level, whatever the case was. But, um, you know, it was, uh, it was the middle of summer. 2020 and um, we, you know, COVID was upon us, but hadn't really hit close to home at that point. And um, excuse me, we, um, we had an outbreak in, in the warehouse and um, it was a situation where, um, you know, in those early days when somebody was exposed, you know, the whole team was gone, right? You shut them down, you locked them up and, you know, they weren't allowed to come out for, for a week or, or yeah. 10 days or whatever the case was. So, um, about 90% of our warehouse staff had to, had to go home and, um, you know, of what course, percentage? 90%. So, I mean, it was, uh, it, it was a lot. What? So, uh, wow. we were only running the shift at that time, thankfully, but, um, um, with, uh, with one shift, it took about four of us who had to, to hang our suits up, um, and go out in the warehouse and work about two and a half shifts in order to get the work wow. done 
for the case, you know, in about, in about, uh, about five or six days, you know, the guy started to come back. Um, but I, I tell you, you know, from doing that, I think, you know, we, we certainly earned the respect of the guys in the warehouse. Um, and, uh, and, you know, they know that they can rely on us too. You know, we're, we're here and, you know, nobody's better than, than any one other person. And we all have to do whatever we have to do to get the job done, especially in freight. Yeah. And just for those listeners who are not in the transportation and logistics industry, running your warehouse without 90% of the people is virtually impossible unless you're bringing in. Yeah. I, I don't know, but yeah. So you, the four of you got in there to try to keep something going and you worked nonstop. We that we worked day and night. We were, we were loading airline pallets. We were unloading airline pallets for imports and exports. You know, we were in, I mean, it was the middle of summer and, you know, even though I started in the warehouse, I forgot how hot a container gets, an ocean container oh, yeah. gets. I've been in a metal container. It's brutal. Yeah. yeah. Right. Corrugated steel, you know, it uh, doesn't have very good ventilation either. So, um, but, you know, listen, it was a good experience and, and really we, we enjoyed it. You know, I mean, fortunately, nobody was severely sick and, you know, everybody came back fit and healthy, you know, a week or so later. But um but it was good to do that too, you know, to, to get back to those roots and, you know, you appreciate more what, what those guys are doing. I mean, that's, that's not an easy job at all. Yeah. Probably a good exercise for all leaders to think about. Number one, are you willing as a leader to do the job of your employees? Even if you don't do it well, or you forgot how to do it. Are you willing to do that? Cause otherwise if you're not willing to do it yourself, it can be tough to ask somebody else to do it and you just earn much, a lot more respect you get close to the business and you helped you help the business keep going yeah so uh yeah. excellent so much so many great lessons here want to boost your productivity and decision making get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox a great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not go to benfanning.com insight over the years, what's been your biggest source of inspiration and what's a difficult time to help you get through? <sighs> you, you know, I think that, um, what, you know, what drives me sometimes, um, you know, that's a question I ask myself as well. And, and other people ask me, you know, what drives me? I think when I was, um, when I was young, um, my parents ran a very small print shop in, um, in Toledo, Ohio. And, uh, um, unfortunately, my father passed away when, when I was quite young um, and he was he was running the business from the book side of it, the, the payroll and all that other things. And my mother was working inside the shop. Mm -hmm. And uh, when my dad passed away, it, it became evident quickly that he had been managing the business very well. You know, they had been paying payroll taxes. They had been paying vendors and, and it was really um, not in good shape at all. And my mother um, you know, now effectively running the business, but also, you know, a, a single mother of, of two young boys, hmm. um, you know, had had to manage that, right? She had no choice. There was there was literally no option other than, you know, cleaning it up, fixing it up and, and moving on or, you know, changing, changing everything. And, um, you know, to her credit, and at that time, I think, you know, she was probably, she was maybe 30 years old at that time, um, you know, back in the back in the early mid 80s. And, um, you know, she, she managed to pull that thing out and uh, not only did she, did she recover it or, or help it to recover, but, you know, the business then, then, uh, excelled, you know, she, she really did a fantastic job with it. And, 
Um, they, they sold a print shop some 10 years ago, uh, retired into the mountains somewhere into a, a log cabin. And, uh, um, and, and that's where she is today with, with my stepfather now. So, wow. um, anytime t- things get tough, you know, you, you think about that and you think about what she had to go through, um, while managing those young kids. And I think, man, you know, we, we don't have it that bad over here. So, um, you know, you, you always put it up against that and, and, uh, and it keeps you going. It keeps you going. And, and uh, she's uh, she's still a source of inspiration today. She's about to have her uh, 70th birthday here in uh, about 13 days. So Wow. Go mom. Yeah, she rocked it out. She rocked it out. <laughs> she, yeah, she had a grand slam uh, in yeah. a very difficult moment. I mean, it makes me think about, too, for you. And your success, like I, there's a there's a Malcolm Gladwell book. I'm not sure. Maybe it's David and Goliath. I don't know if you read that okay. book or familiar with it. But it talks about uh, specifically families and children that that lose a parent, and how that's one of the most difficult things that anyone can imagine. But an incredible number of those people statistically go on to have amazing success because <laughs> they face such a difficult moment early on and they persevere, you know, a lot of times. And, uh, interesting. Anyway, it's something no, no, to check it's, out, but I mean, yeah, I will. I certainly yeah. will. I think, you know, it drives me. And I think that, you know, I also, you know, do this to, to, to make him proud as well. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. And sometimes, you know, my wife even says, you know, you know, are you doing this for a ghost? I mean, do you need to keep going so much and so hard? And, and it's a, you know, it's a fair question, but, uh, um, you know, I've, I've also found a way to, to have a nice work-life balance and, and be there for my kids. So, um, which is, which is incredibly important. Yeah. Well, let's, let's maybe talk about that for a second because my, this is not research-based, but my perception is transportation and logistics industry, supply chain, probably a higher burnout arena than a lot of industries although all i mean i think you can you can burn out in any industry really but the 24-hour nature of it the constant deadlines those are two things that i think and the speed uh are probably you know put you at risk on the work-life balance front what's your advice for leaders for for dealing with their own work-life balance yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I think, I mean, it, you know, there's obviously generational shifts between, uh, you know, outlook and, and, you know, perspective on these things, but, um, you know, it's, it's certainly important. And I think, you know, I admire the, the, the younger generations today because they, you know, they're really aware of this and, and, uh, you know, I, I often, you know, this job has afforded me the opportunity to travel, you know, much of the world. And, um, you know, I always, uh, related to 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 Europeans, right? The Europeans work to live, right? And and Americans live to work, and that's sort of how my generation was, and certainly you know before me, um, yeah. you know how it was looked at. You worked your butt off, you did it the best you can, you know, you kept your mouth shut and just kept rocking and rolling, and and wherever you got, you got. Um, and uh, I think that. You know, later in life, you realize, okay, you know, this six days a week, fourteen hours a day, you know, it's it's probably not sustainable, right? I mean, you can only drink. It's so amazing many how long it can take to come to that realization. 
But comparing is interesting too. I think you make a good point. You've gotten to see the other side in Europe. And when you go to Europe, you oftentimes you do see, although Germany, maybe not as much as say like Italy, Spain, maybe where the mindset's really yeah, that's in France. Very different. But, sure. But yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. And, no, no, no. So, yeah, so what I mean, are you I doing to manage that? Because you, you've got a family, you've yeah. got your business and you've got a bottom line. What's your outlet for yourself and all that? You know, I mean, my kids are at this stage now where we're we're heavy into sports and activities, and you know, my wife and I are are, are uh, very poorly paid chauffeurs. Um, you know, but yeah, but we do have the pleasure of, of being around for a lot of that, and I think that it's something that you, you have to do. Um, it's something we tell the team here. You know, you have to make time for family. You have to make time for you. Um, otherwise, you will burn out, and then you know it doesn't help anybody, right? I mean, you're you're you lost a good employee, a good friend, good colleague. And, you know, a lot of times, and again, I've made this mistake early in my career. Um, you know, you, you put too much on people sometimes and, and some people can respond to it and manage it. Um, and, and some people struggle and, you know, you have to, to recognize that. And I think over mm -hmm. the years, you, know, you get a little bit better picking up on signals um, when people can and, and maybe cannot manage a particular situation so um it's important as a leader i think to to keep an eye on your on your team of course and your staff to make sure they're, they're not being overworked or um you know you're not taking it too seriously sometimes it's uh i tell people i can remember we had a, a an intern from germany um, who was here and it was a friday in air export which is the busiest day always in air export and and she started crying about a shipment that she couldn't get in and i just said you know um, like a league of their own, you know, there's no crying in freight forwarding. I mean, let's go. It's just I freight. I felt like crying when I was in logistics many a time. Yeah. It probably <laughs> did. Yeah. I'm sure I'm, I'm sure yeah, I have just get it. Well. Get me, get my shipment on that boat right now. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they, no. you know, sometimes the people just don't realize what you've gone through just to make it, you know, a little late, you know, instead of extremely late, you know, you, yeah. it, it is a tough job. There's no doubt about it, but you got to take it with a pinch of salt as well. You know, we're, we're moving freight here. Um, you know, we're, we're not uh, performing heart surgery or anything like that. And while it's certainly important to a business, um, you know, your mental health is just as important. I mean, you know, if you're not strong there or, or feeling strong, then, um, you know, I encourage everybody to, to do something about When's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? Yeah, the um, the one that always stands out with that, I mean, I think you have to really own own failures, right? And and learn from them. And and um, you know, I was a I was a hot shot branch manager early in the in the days of of our joint venture company. Uh, GW existed as a joint venture in the US since 2003. And um, I was a, a young and successful branch manager in Chicago. We were number one. We were we were printing money for the organization. And um, and I remember thinking, I got to figure it out. You know, this ain't so hard, uh -oh. right? Boom. No problem, <laughs> right? So Yeah, keep making you know, in mind we, you're we, saying that in response to this yeah. question. Yeah. So, uh oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I thought I had number nothing one. else to yeah. And then um, 08, 09 happened. Um, and, uh, you know, the financial crisis was upon us. And, uh, um, 
I had, what I had realized afterwards is I was, I had rested on my laurels. I had, uh, uh, I wasn't doing enough to, to, um, fill the pipeline with sales opportunities, right? Planting seeds, expanding products, um, you know, really growing the business. And that's really where I learned if you're not growing, you're probably dying. Um, and, uh, and we went from number one to, to middle of the pack. And, and that was a, certainly a very humbling experience. It was a worrisome experience because I, I, I'm not used to losing and I don't like to lose um, like, like mm-hmm. most people. Um, but I learned a lot from it and I was um, um, uh, reinvigorated and, and recommitted and uh, we went out and we hit the road and, and I'll, I'll never forget that in 2009, we won the, um, um, the most growth and gross profit, which meant that, you know, we had got out there and we were really, we were really hitting the streets and we were building it. And, and I still keep that award today, actually, as the Chicago branch, I have it in my home office. Um, because it's, it's the one thing that, uh, that really, um, stays with me is that, you know, no matter how good you're doing, um, you know, don't take your foot off the gas, man. You gotta keep, you gotta keep building it. Keep building it. Or as, uh, yeah, that I think about some of these, but wait, what a great comeback story. And I think <laughs> yeah. of the adage, either you either win or you learn. Mm-hmm. And if you went from winning and maybe not learning as much. It's like success is a terrible teacher. But when right. you took that, when you, but when you had that setback, I mean, you bounced back. You grew the profitability, which I which I zoomed into. You didn't say revenue, you said profitability, most profit. Yeah. And I think for leaders too, that distinction is important. Growth without profit not as exciting as having. You know, you're growing in the a real indicator that you grew it back in the right ways for sustainability. Yeah, that's it. I mean, number one, we don't, we don't even talk turnover here. I, I honestly, you know, the bank asks me, we had lunch with the, with the bank a couple of weeks ago and they said, Oh, you know, well, what, what do you expect this year? And I said, in terms of turnover, and I said, well, what did we do last year? Because I can only tell you what the GP and the NP was. Okay. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's, 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 uh, yeah, that's track really- the right things for your business. I mean, it's yeah. such a great thing and, and it's important. Yeah, thanks for cluing us in a little bit on what it's like to you know have those conversations with bankers. I think people need because that's what that's a completely different conversation than uh, I'll say like glamour statistics that might go up on a website. Yeah, we're asking about cash flow. You know, yeah, it's a different, different deal. Right. All right, so right. starting to wind this up um, without including names. What's your most colorful story of when someone quit or was fired? Now that's uh, that you know, there's um, that's that's a, a tougher one to choose from because I think you know after uh, almost thirty years of business and and you know darn near twenty years of being a manager, um, you get a lot of colorful stories. Um, but uh, but I can remember one in particular that um, um, we had uh, an employee. This was in the early days of the business of, of the joint venture business. We were in Chicago. This is probably two thousand and five. So we've been open maybe a year and a half, you know, two years maximum. And um, I got a call from a from a detective in Chicago, and um, and he said, uh, "Well, your phone number was written on the back of a receipt um, for a grocery store in Houston, Texas, and that receipt was in a duffel bag um, with guns that were used in an armed robbery." And he said, you know, did I know anybody that had been in, in Texas recently? And I said, yeah, 
I said, yes, I did. I had a, um, an air export manager. Um, we shipped him down to Texas to help our Houston office because they had some, some staff shortages at the time. I, I remember it very clearly. And uh, um, um, for a few days, and, and when he came back, um, you know, he obviously had this, this receipt. And so it was pretty clear um, that, that, you know, he was at least uh, a part of it somehow or knew the people or, or whatever the case was, right? So um, I gave him the name of the person, detective called me later, said, yes, he apparently used to work for the shop that he, that he had robbed um, mm. and that uh, we needed to, to come in and, and, and apprehend him. So now I'm a part of this this sting operation on a Friday afternoon, wow. right, for my own employee. Um, and so the, uh, the detectives came in in, in plain clothes and, and went into our conference room. And then um, the, the gentleman came back from lunch and I said, oh, there's some uh, trucking vendors here to see you. They're in the conference room. Um, and I could tell that he immediately uh, uh, was, was suspicious, right? But, um, but he went in, they closed the door for, I don't know, two hours at least. Now it's like five o'clock and now I'm starting to, to, to worry more about myself and how the heck I'm going to get these shipments out. Detective <laughs> comes out. He's admitted to everything, confessed. We're going to walk him out. No handcuffs, two detectives in front, one in the back. And I, so I, I, I quickly figured it out that uh, he wasn't going to be cutting any export shipments for me. Well, that yeah. And um, please but, leave your badge on the desk. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Right. And, and please don't wear that uniform or <laughs> this is there's not the kind of advertising we need out there. Wow. Yeah. It, when you go through leadership yeah. training, you don't get trained for that. No, no, you don't. And, uh, and the best part was, is as a good friend of mine who was in LA at the time, I was on the phone with him for the next five hours. Cause he had to teach me again, how to do air export because we didn't have anybody else to do it. Okay. So, I was cutting air exports in the middle of the night. And I said, Hey, you know, did I do this right? And he said, well, um, you got about 13 tons more than that airline pilot can handle. So that's probably not going to work. So I said, you're right. rounding up a little too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Another, yeah. Harking back to the pandemic, be ready to pitch in great leadership yeah. advice for anybody. Mark, this has been so much fun. What's your, what's your parting thought for our leaders today? Um, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, for me, what's, what's worked well for me is, is really, um, you know, enable your people, Tr trust them, enable them, um, you know, empower these guys, teach them um, and, uh, and let them make their mistakes. I think that, um, you know, if you want to have an organization where, you know, you have highly paid professionals, um, you know, let them do the job that, that they need to do, you know, don't step on their toes and, and let them make their mistakes and um, let them take their risks and, uh and I think that that will, will come back to you and, and to the organization for, for many years to come. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ben. It's been a pleasure. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping.
Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.